Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the 442 Podcast. And today, Liam... We have got a belter, belter, belter. Talk about a man with the stars. We've got that. We have got the ex-global football director of Reebok. This lad's worked with Gabriel Batistuta, Jurgen Klinsmann, Ryan Giggs, Andy Cole, Raul, Dennis Birdcamp, Bruce Rioch, Sam Allardyce, Mark Bosnich, Roberto Baggio, Neil Ruddock. He's also worked with Carlos Valderrama. And there's a little story in Pakistan we're going to bring up. Today, we've got Glenn Joyce. Wow. And I'll tell you what, there's still plenty of names on that weren't mentioned there that Glenn, Glenn has worked with. I'm thinking this is be another one down the line. But, let you fire away, John. Yeah. Straight into it then, Glenn, really. Reebok, what was your last role at Reebok? Uh, my last role was Global Development Director for Liverpool Football Club for, for Reebok International. Um there was a requirement after we signed Liverpool, or a promise when we signed Liverpool, that we would develop their brand globally. Um, so I moved from the product side, um, which involved managing that category, you know, from boots to kits to shin pads to goalkeeper gloves to training kit, etc., to balls, um, which we made in Pakistan. Um, so I took over, over over that role to develop the, the, the Reebok brand, Liverpool Reebok brand uh, internationally. So that was working both in the States, uh, but mainly with an Asian connection. Glenn, I'm loving this story. Let's start with how did Carlos Valderrama's football boots save your <laughs> life? So Carlos Valderrama, the king of Colombia, um, Colombia captain, probably the most famous Colombian footballer ever was a, was a Reebok-sponsored footballer. And uh, we went out to Colombia to deliver his boots. So we arrived in Bogota. Um, we got in a car to take us to Carlos's apartment up in the hills and um, got stopped by 
group of, let's just say, gorillas. Um, guns? We, with guns, yeah. Not the ape type. Um, we were told, we were given a briefing beforehand, if something happens, you get stopped, don't get out of the car. Um, might be the last thing you ever do. So the car gets stopped. A couple of guys, fully masked up. A couple of nice machine guns in their hands. And... Um, Started the conversation with the driver about where they were going, what we were doing, while we were there. And I could hear the conversation. I, I, I speak very little Spanish or Portuguese, if any. Um, but then I heard the word Valderrama mentioned. And there was a silence in the conversation. So they signaled the driver to get out of the car. And I'm thinking, this is the end of him. And he walks around the back of the car. And I thought, this is definitely the end of him. The boot opens, and I thought this is definitely, definitely, definitely the end of him because he's going to be in the boot in a second. But of course, the boots are in the back, and the boots had Valderrama's name on them, Carlos Valderrama, Colombia. They took the boots out, showed the gorillas, and then there was a silence. The driver gets back in the car and just says, we're okay. Nervously. Nervously. So the gorillas then got on the radios to up ahead and we had a safe journey to Carlos Valderrama's house. Were you crapping it? Yeah, bricking it. <laughs> bricking it. It's only when you tell the odd story like that, that, that always sticks in your mind, that story. When you see a gun, you never lose the sight of that gun. And I did a, a, a podcast... Um, a few months ago mentioning something else and the gun got mentioned. And I sat back after that and I thought, I must have four stories where I've had guns within feet of me. Um, I'll hit on one with, with John later on. Uh, when, we, when we, you know, if we... Because there's a few bones I want to pick about your Pakistan story. <laughs> Which one? We'll get to that, don't you worry. Yeah. Which worries me. So there's, so there's a gun involved in there and he, he'd probably forgotten about that. Yeah. Um, I went out to meet Reebok Panama. They were looking at signing the Panamanian FA, which, strangely enough, only a few months ago they did. Um, and I got picked up by the owner, or the owner's son of, of Reebok Panama, very wealthy family, at the airport. And coming out the airport, he, he cut somebody up or somebody cut him up trying to get out the exit. And there was an exchange of, of niceties, if you like. I think one of the mothers was mentioned. Um, and that was enough for my driver on my left-hand side here. And he literally just, in a relaxed way, just reached over, opened the glove compartment, took out this enormous handgun. And it was here. I could see the maker's name. And I'm thinking, if this goes off, I'm going to lose my nose. <laughs> the window was down. Anyway, this guy in the car said sorry. Quickly. <laughs> and we got, we got out the airports. But, uh, yeah, there's a two or three stories about guns. And I work in the sports industry, for God's sake. I know. Guns. Guns. You've made the way up, going back to Carlos Valderrama. Obviously, you've went through the checkpoints, got yourself up to the gates of his house. Yeah. Did you get in? Did nope. you get to see him? No. Nope. The boots were left at the gatehouse, um, given to a, one of his uh, servants, I'd imagine, or something like that, because he, he was literally the king of Colombia. Um, 
and then we turned around and, and went back. And that was like mission accomplished. Wow. Noth- nothing stopped us on the way back. No. Did you ever get to meet him at any point? No, no, no? never did. No. So who did the negotiations, etc., on on that deal? We had a we had a wonderful guy um, who worked for us over in. He was based in California, but he was a, a South American guy called uh, Henry Saroka. Um, very, very well connected in the football industry. Who he didn't know probably wasn't worth knowing, um, especially up to the likes of, of Sepp Blatter, for instance, um, personal friend of Sepp Blatter. Um, so Henry was a key consultant to us for all our South African, our South American um, activity and contacts and, you know, clubs. We, you know, we had... Flamenco, um, Chivas at one stage in Mexico. Um, so yeah, Henry was responsible for all those sort of dealings, and he knew how the, he knew how the country worked, yeah. how the continent worked. Anyway, tell us a story on Gabriel Batistuta and how he ended up on you twelve million. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, that's a lot, isn't it? Some coin that. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, 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 just waiting for you to come through the door one day. You know, I'm sure it'll arrive. So I'm sure Gabby's going to be listening to this, uh, watching it. Um, you never know, do you? Shame I'm into paying it. Shame I'm into paying it. So I'm doing a photo shoot. <clears throat> We've signed Barry Stuter. Um, and when I took over the European um, marketing job, it was recognised that he was a top, top player of ours with so much potential for the brand, but he wasn't being utilised. It just it just wasn't looked after, in effect. Um, so Reebok UK, um, uh, led by Dave Singleton, were quite instrumental in the UK stroke Reebok Europe side taking over the responsibility from Reebok International out in the States. Because with all respect to Reebok International in the States, they weren't football-oriented. The experience, the knowledge is from Europe. When you say he wasn't getting looked after, what does that entail? Um, everything from making sure uh, he's involved in discussions about his boots, which boots he prefers. Um, some players don't like certain types of things on boots. Dennis Bergkamp's a great example. If you ever look at the boots that you wore, the Reebok Integrities you wore with the flip-over tongue, Dennis hated the flip-over tongue. So Dennis's boots were made without the flip-over tongue. I didn't like the flip-over tongue. You should have said it. I mean, you some... never offered me that opportunity. You should, you should have asked. <laughs> you should have <laughs> just asked. <laughs> exactly. I made, yes. you, I made you a shirt with your name on the back. <laughs> As you've reminded me. <laughs> do, do, do you remember, because you went from Mizuno. Yes. And you, you joined me. Yeah. Do you remember the unveiling of that shirt in the in the um, dressing room Burnden Park it would have been if I'm honest with you I'm going to say no well, I'm and gonna... the reason being I'm not sure what happened last week <laughs> you won <laughs> oh, <did I? laughs> so I've announced I've, I've, had, I've had chats with you and we've, we've gone through this and John's going to sign from Mizuno to Reebok and so we organised a press conference so the Manchester Evening News are there Bolton Evening News are there um, I think even Lancashire even Post this sort of thing there's a few couple of local radio stations. We announced this to John McGinley, Bolton Wanderers, Scotland, assigned with Reebok, blah, blah. Shoot magazine we had there, match magazine we had there, etc. So we've set the, the shirts up in the dressing room. Yeah. And I fucking spelt it wrong. 
McGinn Lee with the EY on the end. <laughs> he, Normal, what? He goes, spelled my fucking name wrong. <laughs> like, what? You spelled my name wrong. Ah, oh, I haven't. You fucking have. So I had to run to the club shop. Get the print of the shop. Get another shirt made up quickly, spelling it right. And, and the guy goes, well, I knew it was wrong. I said, why didn't you spell it right then? Because you asked for it. Because you asked for it that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, Alan Bell. Alan Bell, yes, Alan Bell. Um, good good memories. So, yeah, everything from making sure the, the boots are right. Um, he's being utilised in a way that a lot of people look at the, the players and go, they've signed with the brand, the brand's going to massively benefit out of that association. No, the player benefits as well because his exposure increases. The more his, his exposure increases, the more he's tradable for Absolutely, you know, yeah. other, other products as well. Yeah. So it works both ways. Um, and Batty wasn't getting any of that. So I was experienced because I'd been looking after Gigsy in the UK for five, six, seven years, looking after his complete sponsorship contract, um, literally from the day we signed him. Um, so all the marketing campaigns, the advertising campaigns, the TV campaigns, um, the, you know, the, the PR material, the um, personal appearances in, in stores and that sort of thing, everything, the whole kit and caboodle, all the whole marketing package around him. Batty had never had any of that. So we, we took that to the table to him. So I've gone out to Florence um, to meet him and take him through this stuff. We were doing a, a photo shoot initially with the new training gear, so great asset to us to having the brochure. You know, to have Match Magazine, Batty Studio wears Reebok and it's plastered all over him. So we're on the pitch uh, in Florence, at Fiorentina Stadium in Florence, scorching hot day. I've got my shirts, T-shirt and pair of shorts and my boots. And bear in mind, he'd only ever dealt with an American guy who'd never played soccer in his life. I hate the word soccer. Never played football in his life. We're on the pitch and there's some balls there. I'm an English kid. I've played football um, to a decent level. And ball goes on the far side from one of the shoots. I go over, ping it over to him. He takes it on his chest and just looks over and goes, that was instant respect, I thought. This guy can knows how to kick a ball. Um, so we're, we're bantering in, in broken Spanish, broken Italian. Anyway, there comes a break in the, in the, in the photo shoot. And he says, uh, hey, Glenn. Hey, yeah, here. So I go over and he's got three balls on the 18-yard box. He goes... Crossbar. So he's challenged me to a crossbar challenge. Hit the crossbar for 18 yards. I said, okay. I said, uh, how much? Six million. Six million. Same million. I thought, right, okay. I'm thinking, oh, God, that's a lot of money. What <laughs> a young lad, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we, um, I said, you go first. <clears throat> okay. First one, over the bar. Second one, under the bar. Third one, over the bar. So he's looking, and he's hurting. You can see in his face he's hurting. 
So he looks at me and goes, there you go, yeah, I got. So I put the first one down, ping it, smash the crossbar right in the middle, first one. <laughs> <laughs> so I just turned it went, say Amelie. <laughs> so there's me, there's me six million in the bank already. I'm set up for life now, 20 quid. And uh, so a few months later, and he's hurting, he's hurting. You can see he's hurting, but he's laughing. Takes me for lunch. He said, you come for lunch with me. So we get in his Ferrari or Lamborghini, whatever, I don't know what it was, just a, a really flat, low car. Um, we go up the middle of this tiny, narrow Florence street, parks up, gets out. So I get out with him. I'm thinking, you can't park this here. Middle of the road. Middle of the road. No one can get past either way. I said, uh, Batty, he goes, yeah, fine, no problem. So we go in, we have this amazing lunch, finish that, come out, not a single car horn heard all, all lunch. Nobody on the street, no traffic jams. People come to the street going, oh, shit, it's Batty. Turn around, go back, he can park where he wants, King of Florence. So about six months later, um, I go back and do another photo shoot with him. Um, weather's still fine, still nice. And I can see on his face he hasn't forgotten. So we get part of this photo shoot done. And um, he goes, hey. And I thought, here he comes. What's next? He starts walking off the pitch. I thought, he hasn't taken it badly, as in he's doing a runner in the middle of the photo shoots because this was for the Argentina national team shirt that we'd just signed. That's three balls with him again. Goes to the corner flag. Now, the first photo shoot, I had a pair of Reebok Integrities on. This one, I've got a pair of leather classics on. Didn't even have them fastened. The laces were tucked inside me. <laughs> the shoe. Trainers for you, then. I know what classics are. Class, everyone knows what classics are. So he puts the ball on the corner flag. He goes, whoosh, score. All right, okay, I got it, yeah. I'm looking at my shit trainers going, crap, I wish I had boots on. I said, you first. How much? Same <laughs> Right, okay, then. So he takes his first. Puts too much on it. Goes wide of the far post. Second one. Into the side netting at the near post. The third one. Too high. Goes over the bar. Curling. Or just a bit too high. So he looks at me. And I can see him thinking. Oh, shit. He's going to do it again, isn't he? But he looks at me trainers. As if to say, no, he's not. So I put the first ball down. Took a backswing. And as soon as it left me foot, I knew it was going in. And it starts curling, starts curling, starts curling. And as it bounced just in front of the goal, he just went, no! <laughs> Trickled over the, <clears throat> over the line, into the goal. Dici mille. <laughs> so that's how he owes me 12 million lira. Which, which is I, worth... I think it's about 30 quid or 40 <laughs> quid. <laughs> could even be about two quid, something like just that. Just bring it back. So you went for lunch <clears throat> with him six months prior. Who mm. paid for the lunch? I didn't see him pay, and I didn't pay. So do you mean he just went, ordered them? Yeah. But he was playing for Florentina then, so they would have loved him. They would, yeah. It would be an honour for him to go to the restaurant, wouldn't it? Oh, my <clears> God. <throat> yeah. You've got here Batty in your place. There'll be a picture on the wall, you know. Yeah. He'll any place in Florence he could walk into. He was just a, a god, just a great player to work with as well. 
Well, I've got a belter here. France, 98. Chile were one of your teams, weren't they? Mm. Bit of a problem uh, the day before Chile's first match, weren't they? Uh, before the second, a few days before the second match. Um, they played the first match um, in the Reebok kit, red Reebok kit, with the big white Reebok vector across the chest. Um, you know, the Reebok logo. Get a phone call. I, I was in uh, Paris for quite a bit of the tournament. And um, get a phone call that FIFA won't allow the away kit to be worn the next game, which was the reverse. It was white. It was blue, actually. I think it was blue. Blue with a white vector across. Because the logo's too big. It's obvious logo. So we were arguing backwards and forwards. Well, what are the three stripes on the Elias shirt? Surely that's their logo as well. That's plastered right down the arm of the long sleeve shirts, you know. They weren't having that because Adidas were a German company and FIFA were German and Adidas were in bed with FIFA and that was never going to happen, you know. So we're scrambling around thinking, well, what are we going to do for a kit? What do we do? We'd phoned Henry Soroka, I mentioned earlier, um, in the US and explained to him what the situation was and Henry said, leave it with me, I'll see what I can do because we knew how connected he was. But in the meantime, we had to have a plan B. And plan B became Reebok UK getting involved. Nearest country that manufactures. And the ball started rolling that Chile were going to wear Bolton Wanderers kit <laughs> un, un, with a Chile badge on it. So the Bolton Wanderers kit of that season, um, or the previous season probably, because there would have been some stock still, um, we were looking at, looking at pressing buttons to get this producing the chili kit in a few days. Um, and everything was literally set up, you know, even to the point of what flight they were going on to get there on time, to get to the thingy, to get to UEF to have a look at them. Um, the middle of the night, about two days before, phone rang in my hotel room. It was Henry Soroka. He said, Henry, Glenn, everything's sorted. I said, what do you mean? He said, no problem with the kit. He said, uh, I've just spoken to Joseph. And Joseph's, he's fine with it. Who's Joseph? So Joseph was Seth Blatter. Is that his name? Yeah, Joseph Blatter. So Seth Blatter was a friend of his. He'd spoken to him. I don't know whether there was any... Bonuses? En envelopes. <laughs> Brown by any chance? <laughs> I couldn't possibly say, yeah. but... Um, nothing happens for nothing, does it? Not in that regime. No. No, I, I was, I was the first person in that position, and we became the first brand to pull out of FIFA's match ball stamping program. Basically, what it was, if you manufactured a football, um, you'll see FIFA approved on it. That used to say FIFA approved. Yes, it meant nothing. It just meant money for them. All it did was every ball that was sold, the manufacturer paid FIFA's marketing agency 50p. But it meant nothing. FIFA approved simply meant it met the regulations of a match football. Right. FIFA argued that the consumer will buy balls with FIFA approved on, but they won't buy balls with without FIFA approved on. We did some um, market research some focus groups with 
different kids' football teams. Not one of them went for the ball with FIFA approved on. They went for the ball that looked the best or the ball that meant something. So I went to a meeting um, in Lucerne to talk about signing the document. I said, we're not signing it. Reebok will not be involved in paying you 50p for every ball we sell. For, we get nothing back from it. Um, and that was a company that was later disbanded and went bust because of the other things that like that that were you know, being done. What were the ramifications uh, on you saying no to that? Was there anything that came back? Did they start to sort of clamp down on Reebok for certain things? No, no. I, th I think um, because you, even when you're responsible for part of a brand and you are responsible and loyal to your brand, you still talk to other people from other brands yeah. because sometimes it's good to share information that's relevant to everybody. Um, and there was often meetings where we'd all be in the same room. I remember one um, one time at UEFA's headquarters, it was a, a meeting about kit regulations and kit specifications. So we go in this huge room, all with microphones on in front of you. It's something like the United Nations, you know. And this table at the top with all the green jackets of UEFA guys up there. One of them looked like Himmler. And they're going through this, you know, right, badge on your chest, the logo on your chest, because it'll be this size. If you have one here, you can't have one there. If you do this, you can't do that. Logos on sleeves, logos on arms, blah, 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 blah. So all this, all this sort of thing we're going through, all the regulation, we're going to change this, we're changing that. And um, the guy from Puma was having none of it. He'd got out of bed the wrong side. He was after you here for that day. And I was sat next to a mate of mine, um, Simon Marsh from Umbro. We travelled over together and uh, we were in stitches because every time they raised something that people didn't like, this guy went after him. And then he started going after Adidas because the three stripes is a logo. It was later deemed as a logo. And then there was a big challenge and it, the size of logos on certain areas was, was, was changed. Um, but I remember the Puma guy sitting there and he sat back in his chair and he said to this guy, blonde-haired German guy with little glasses on, and he said, what if... What if we don't abide by these regulations? And the little guy just looked at him, the UEFA guy, and he just said, bear in mind, the windows on either side of this room, once we sat down, all the shutters came down. So it was a bit like... And the guy just looked at him and went, you will be punished. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Simon just burst out laughing. And you could see him looking around the room. And everyone started laughing. They're laughing at, you will be punished. <laughs> so you had a fantastic relationship, Glenn, with Ryan Giggs and Andy Cole uh, for Man United. You know, any trips, any stories on, on the two boys? I had a great time working with both of those. Yeah. I worked with Giggsy, um, like I said, for seven years managing his Reebok sponsorship deal. Um, loved working with him, loved working with his agent, Harry, um, and worked with Corley for as long um, when he was at Newcastle, scored 40-odd goals in that season. Um, 
I remember getting a call from Paul Stratford, his agent, saying that he was moving to Man United tomorrow. I was in a conference in Birmingham. He said, and he hasn't took his boots down. He needs some boots for tomorrow. So I managed to get the Reebok offices opened. So I left this conference in Birmingham, nine, ten o'clock at night, flew up the M6 to Lancaster, got into the office, got into the boot room, which is where we kept the players' boots and, and, and kit and stuff. Got some of his Andy's boots um, and managed to get them down to, to Old Trafford, ready for the unveiling next morning so that he was, he was you know, presented in, in Reebok boots. Got three points on my licence for that for going through roadworks too fast. Um, and, like I say, gigs he managed him the whole way from the start, pretty much, to you know, for, for, for seven years. So he was a boy? Just got, was he 17, 18? Um, I think he was about 17, Ryan then, yeah. Um, great, great kid, loved working with him. I was the first person to interview him um, in front of camera. We did a we had a magnificent football tournament, and John will remember this: the Reebok Fives um, and the Grand Finals. It was a five-a-side street soccer tournament held all over the country, in Scotland, in Wales, in Ireland, in England, and then we had your age group champions of each area would descend on Bolton on a Friday. We used to rent out the entire was it the Moat House Hotel in Bolton? Moat House, yeah. Yeah, we used to rent the entire Moat House Hotel out. These kids would turn up one after the other in their minibuses and coaches with their, you know, with their managers and coaches. They'd be taken into a room, given their Reebok kit for the next day, Reebok trainers. They're all kitted out. Brilliant, brilliant tournament it was. Um, Sue Smith, the, the last is on Sky Sports now, yeah. does the football. She was one of the competitors in... You always remember Sue from those days. And, um, you know, we, 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 we share tweets. And she remembers the Reebok five. She's, you know, with... with, with with great, uh, great fondness. Um, I forgot what my train of thought was then. So Reebok Fives. First interview gigs. Yeah, first interview gigs. So we're in Bolton Town Hall because the pitches were outside Bolton Town Hall and Town Centre. Um, and I did a, an interview with him on camera that went across the USA. It didn't go into the UK, but he hadn't been interviewed on camera prior to that. So my little claim to fame, I've got one. First interview with Ryan Giggs. So we, um, 1996 season, um, European Cup final. We're sponsors of Champions League. Um, I said to the two guys, do you want to go to the Champions League final? Full hospitality. Um, you know, a nice hotel, all paid for, everything's paid for. Go and watch um, the Champions League final. Well, they were well up for it. Um, Paul came, Paul Stretford came, Dave Gardner came with us. So there's five of us out there. We arrived there on the Tuesday. We have a day out looking around. I said, right, we'll um, take you to the Coliseum. I said, you lads play at the Theatre of Dreams, so I'm going to take you to the Stadium of Death. So I take them to the Coliseum. And we're in the, we're in the cab on the, on the way to it. And Coley says... Uh, are we going to go do any shopping while we're out here? I said, uh, yeah, do some tomorrow if you want. Tomorrow morning, then chill in the afternoon and we've got a Champions League final in the evening. All right, he said, he said I want a UV shirt. He said, uh, 
try and find me a UV shirt, will you, Joycey? And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're in the Coliseum, and I'm telling him about some of the history of it, you know, and how people died in there and this sort of thing. And then uh, I look over, and there's a, a lad on the far side with a UV shirt on. I said to Coley, Coley, the lad's got a UV shirt. I go and ask him where he got it from. Yeah, right. So he goes up, he goes, uh, hey, scoozy. <laughs> lad goes, yeah. He goes, where or you or get UV shirty or on from? And lad went, Arndale sent to Manchester. <laughs> his face. I thought Giggsy was going to fall off the balcony. Crying. That's one of them where you, yeah. you're there, you're just giggling and giggling, aren't you? Uh, Looking at each other and carry on laughing, don't you? And then, you know, an hour later, we were sat in the, in the cab going back going, Arndale sent to Manchester. <laughs> <laughs> so we got the Champions League final and it was rammed. I, I don't know what the, I must look the attendance up. The attendance would have been something like 86,000. There was 110 in there. There was people like, we're all suited and booted, and people sat on my shoulder. <laughs> it was horrendous, you know. Lads, then they recognised Giggsy and Corley, of course. More people are sat on your shoulder. So, game finishes. Watch the presentation. Right, let's get downstairs. We've got a couple of hours down here. A few beers. Right. So, we're being entertained, you know. Amstel was flowing. Um, one of the UEFA guys, who was my contact there, he comes over and says, Glenn... Um, your UEFA car, or people carrier, will be 10 minutes to take you back to the hotel. I said, right, so boys, 10 minutes. Right, okay. UEFA guy comes over. Glenn, five minutes, your people carrier's here. Okay, right, boys, five minutes, Coley. I've just got one in. I said, well, just leave it. You can't just leave it, can you? So we haven't paid for it. Just leave it, a bottle of beer. We've got a car in five minutes. Well, I'll just finish this. Miss the car, don't we? So I'm like, right, fellas, come on. I'm going to try and get another one now. There won't be any left. Look, there's people, not many here. And there wasn't, it was like about a dozen people left in this hospitality area. So I um, I got me UEFA contact guy. Are there any more cars coming back? He went, yeah, there's two. And that's it. There'll be no more. Right, lads, there's two more cars coming back and that's it, no more. And I can't get a taxi, so... Oh, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. Right, Glenn, last car's here. Right, boys, come on. I've just got one in. Just leave it, it's free. Car goes. Well, it was before mobile phones then, really. We'd have, I didn't have a, a mobile phone just to try and find a taxi or whatever, you know. Ah, oh, we'll walk home. Now, bear in mind they'd been out shopping in the afternoon and bought new shoes from the Armani store. So, we start walking home. I don't even know which direction home is. We just start walking. Then we come across a motorway and we've got to bypass this motorway somehow. And I'm just saying, well, the centre of Rome is over there somewhere. So we just need two hours of walking. You're all suited and booted as well? Yeah, suited, booted, fully Armani'd up. Um... Blisters are starting up here on the back of the lad's legs, the lad's feet, new shoes, 
Seven million football. Seven yeah. million pound football. I'm thinking, oh, fucking Fergie's going to kill me for doing this. Got Paul Stretford there encouraging him. So we're walking, walking. It's about two in the morning now. I see this little trattoria, this little cafe on the corner, lights on. A couple of people sat outside, people sat inside. So I said, who wants a coffee? Yeah, yeah, need a coffee. So they sat on the table outside. I go in. Five, five coffees, please. Brings the five coffees out. It was the owner, brings them out. He looks, he goes. Glenn Joyce, no, <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Giggs, Andy Cole, Manchester United. Yeah. Oh, Manchester United. So he starts hugging them. So I'm trying to tell him we've broken Italian. We need to get to our hotel. I've got the little card there. So I said, need to get a taxi? Oh, no taxi, no, no. One moment. Goes inside, comes back out. He says, my son, take you home. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So five minutes later, Stretz is sat in the front I'm sat in the back with Giggsy Coley, with Dave Gardner across our laps in a Fiat 500. <laughs> Italian style. Italian style. <laughs> Got back to the hotel in one piece, thankfully. Um, so I said, right, I've got some booze in my room. Should have a nightcap? Yeah, too bad, yeah. So three of us are sat there on the balcony. Dave had gone to bed. Dave was a, a girl. Um, we sat in the balcony. Giggsy goes... It's that light down there. Coley goes, what, the swimming pool? He goes, no, no, a bit further up. That really bright light. And I looked at it and went, oh, shit. I said, that's the sun coming up, boys. <laughs> I think it's time to go to bed. <laughs> I passed four, went to bed. We're flying next morning at lunchtime. Any, so, any comebacks on the blisters? No, because end of season, wasn't it? Unlike you... Yours was going back to training. Yeah. They had the summer to get, to get over it. To get it sorted out, thankfully. I'd have had the hairdryer there, wouldn't I? Just a Definitely. Day. I had the hairdryer once. Oh, Ferguson? Yeah. What for? I had a foot. <coughs> personal appearance organised with Giggsy. And he got injured and on the Saturday game. It was organised for the Tuesday. So we cancelled it with the shop. I'd told Harry, his agent, 
yeah, he's injured, he can't do it, he's getting treated and what have you, everything's being cancelled, we'll just move it, Harry's great, Glenn, no problem at all, nobody told Alex. So I was up in Scotland, in Edinburgh, um, I don't know what I was doing, phone, phone rings in my hotel room, like Glenn, yeah, Alex Ferguson, and he just let rip into this personal appearance that was happening tomorrow, and gigs he's not going to be there because he's injured, he needs treatment, da-da-da, he will not be fucking doing this for Reebok, and he will be fucking doing that for Reebok, and he won't be fucking doing that for Reebok either. Then I went, it's cancelled, it was cancelled on Monday, Alex. And he kept going, and I went, Alex, it was cancelled on Monday. He got injured on Saturday. Harry knows. What? Harry knows. Phone down. Phone down. No, sorry, no, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you look yeah. scared now, he's not <laughs> Still remember it. Didn't so get let him go. Didn't get to sleep that night. No, I thought he was outside my door. <laughs> I don't know. You got me number, hotel number. I'm sure them days they'll get anything they want, won't Something like yeah. it. Yeah. Tell us that story you told us before about Ryan Giggs. A few made a few quid on a flight and they were buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm baffled me this one. So we came back from we did a um, personal appearance in London signing session. Um. Funnily, did you see the one the other day of, of Harland announcing his Nike deal and they did it down in London, Oxford Street, yeah? That was nowhere near as big as what Giggs created and Andy Cole. Took Andy Cole out to Asia. We ended up in the back of a police car driving on the pavement to get to this shopping centre where he was appearing because that many people had turned out in the city to, to see him. Um, but uh, yeah, so Giggsy and I we'd, we'd got flown out of London and then um, did this personal appearance in the shop, blah blah blah. Flying back, so we get to Heathrow. What is it, half an hour flight back to Manchester? We're, we're on the R5, so airport's busy, lounge is busy. Um, flight BA something something, uh, 5.35 has been overbooked. If any passengers would like to give their seat up. Uh, please see uh, a BA member of staff and compensation could be agreed. So I said to Giggsy, how desperate do you get back? I'm not doing that tonight. That's why I get some cash here. <coughs> he says, uh, yeah, go on then. So I go over to this last, I said, what's um, what's the crack with the compensation? I said, me and Mr Giggs will willingly give our seat up. She went, um, £150 cash. I said, right, we'll take it. We're on the next flight, 45 minutes later. So she goes away, comes back. There's Mr Giggs' 150 quid. There's your, your 150 quid, and there's your new flight tickets for next. So I go back to him, I said, here, 150 quid for you there. I can't take that. So why? Well, we both pay for the tickets. I said, we're still using the flights. Oh, yeah. I said, so you can have that. It's like a kid in a sweet shop. Like he'd won the lottery. I take it them days over, there'd be people looking after his finances. Paddy was looking after it all, his account was looking after it all. Um, yeah. Probably, he'd probably... his pocket money, wasn't it? Is. We'd Bruce Lee bonus, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 All husbands yeah. know that, don't they? They can get a bit of cash. Rarely had, rarely had money in his pocket, you know. No. Um, and rarely had need to use it, to be honest with you. 
did he really have money in his pocket? Because, like you said, did everybody else just pay for everything and do for everything and that was it? Did his money go to a bank account and he got so much a week? Or Possibly, I don't know how that worked. Yeah. But um, I never saw him put his hand in his pocket. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a story about signing Aston Villa and then negotiations with uh, one Doug Ellis. So Dave Singleton was heavily involved in the signing of this. Right. Dave will tell you this story as well. We'd been meeting for months and months and months, and Aston Villa had some very precise demands. Um, Doug was a hugely successful businessman, and that's how he got there, by being very precise about things. Um, we um, went through all sorts from kit exclusivity. We will not have a template in Aston Villa. We don't want to wear what Bolton Wanderers is wearing. We don't want to wear what Crew Alexandra wearing with a, di a different colour. We want our own design style. We were fine with that. We were good with that. Design team were full on board with it. Gave them more creative authority, if you like. Yeah. Um, designers loved the idea that they were creating unique stuff as well. And um, so everything about the contract, you know, how many tickets we get, what we pay for, what we don't pay for, blah, 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 what we, got, what we get back, what they get off us, cost of kit, all this sort of thing, royalties, da, 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 huge reams of paper to go through. And it goes on for months and months and months. Um, we finally get the point where we're invited down to do final negotiations. with, with like Ready for sign kind yeah, of thing. It's coming to, to an end. Coming to an end. So we get to Villa Park as an entourage of us. And um, sit down there, goes on for about another seven, eight hours. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, in the boardroom. Um, you're, in, you're in the room, you're out the room, blah, 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 blah. And finally Doug says, um, right, I'm happy with that. Let's get the pen out and we'll sign it. So this is about 10 o'clock at night. So the contracts are drawn up. We've got our international council there as well. So the final paper comes out. Bump, bump. It's signed. Dave signs it for Reebok UK. Um, Doug signs it for Aston Villa. And Doug keeps hold of it. Both copies. And he said, no, sir, no, he didn't. We, we, we signed it. We shook hands. And he said, right, I'd like to invite him to my office. So we go to his office and he pulls this, I don't know, 70-year-old malt whiskey, which is probably worth about 12 grand a bottle, out and poured us all the glass. Biggest waste of a glass, giving it to me because I can't stand whiskey. <laughs> You've got to drink it, haven't you, do that. So he's given us all a glass of whiskey. He's given it five minutes and he went, I've just been thinking about the bonus structure on this contract. Can we go back in and have another look at it? And he was like, no. And he just literally almost pulled the wool. Anyway, in the end of the day, there was one small minor adjustment which got done. But that was deadly dug. Didn't allow the use of the term dug out at Villa Park. Because I'm... Dug out. Yeah, of oh, yeah. course, yeah. yeah. It was... Going into like negotiations, do you have like a set figure? That's your budget? Yeah. Did you keep within budget after all that negotiation? Not with Villa. I think we went just a bit over. But you've, you've got to weigh, is it worth that little bit more 
Yeah, yeah. Pros and cons, isn't it? It's like going to an auction. If you go to an auction, you go with a figure in your head. Don't be swayed to go. No. You know, don't follow your, your heart, follow your head. So you go into negotiations with a figure in mind. You've done all your all your preparation, your research before, what they were paid before, what other clubs are being paid now, um, what it's going to cost the brand. Um, but there does come a point where you can't go, you, you can't go any further. You've you got to walk away. So huge deal, Aston Villa, huge deal, Liverpool. What was the hardest deal to do out of the two? V Villa was tricky. Just because of Doug Ellis? Yeah. Liverpool was enormous. Mm. Two very different types of contract. There wasn't much discussion in the Aston Villa negotiations about brand development, international development. Liverpool were very focused on developing their brand and developing them as a club internationally. So they were they were seen much further into the future than what Villa were. Villa were just very, very UK focused, you know. Here and now. Yep. yep. They weren't prepared to take to add anything, add anything in there <clears throat> that would jeopardise that bottom figure, whereas Liverpool were possibly prepared to say, well, I'll tell you what, make that figure less, but give us more of that internationally, something. So, yeah, two very, very different contract negotiations, but uh, all contract negotiations were complex, but, yeah, two very different ones, those. Was it Villa had the funky kit man, bit of a hoarder? Jim. <laughs> Gotta tell us about this lad. Jim Jim Paul. <laughs> Lovely bloke, miserable as hell. Some people say typical kit man. Kitman's day can go from like six in the morning to ten at night. Exactly. You know, you've got to be miserable, haven't you? Um and all you've got is players trying to nick stuff off you. Um and Jim was a bugger for hoarding stuff, yeah. I remember two Arctics turning up. I phoned him up and said, Jim, your kids are arriving next Tuesday. Get ready. Right, and we're, we're ready. And um, they often sold the previous season stuff off in the shop, you know, because people love to have a player shirt and that sort of thing. But there was always still loads left at, at Bodymore. Jim wasn't very good at giving it away, you know, selling it off sort of thing. So you always had to find more space. Anyway, two Arctics turned up with the, all the kits on it. So you're talking, you know, a thousand pairs of shorts. Thousand shirts, this sort of thing. And that's for all the team. That's Reserves, for all the teams, kids, everything that are going to go through the season. Yeah. Um, and I was in the kit room the day it arrived. I looked. I said, "Jim, what are those six boxes up there? Big, big boxes." He said, "They're me sloggies." I said, "You sloggies?" He said, "Yeah, me sloggies." So the sloggies are underpants. John vouched for this. So you wore white white fronts, didn't you? Yeah. Under, under your under your kit. I said, well, you've got six boxes left up there. They haven't been used, have they? He went, no, they're brand new. I said, well, there's six more coming off this Arctic now for this season. He said, yeah, but they're this season's. I said, <laughs> I said they haven't got a best before date on them, Jim. <laughs> Use them. So I don't know what happened later, whether we had a market on the centre of Birmingham market stall or something selling sloggies. There's probably still 1.2 million pairs of sloggies at Body Bar Heath. Heading away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jim was comical. He was. Uh, they had a little player there, Sean Teal. He caused your problems, didn't he? He was a big lad, big Sean Teal, biggest calves. You think you think Jack Grealish's calves are big? 
Sean Teal's make his look like grapes. Phones up. Glenn, got a problem? What's your problem, Jim? Sean Teal's calves. I said, that's not my problem, Jim. You need to see Jim Walker, the physio. No, he can't do anything about the socks. I went, what's wrong with the bloody socks? He won't go over his calves. <laughs> I said, what? Well, I said, right, I'll be down tomorrow. So I go down, and Sean was one of my players who wore the boots. I walked in, he went, he was laughing his head off. He said, God, I can't get above my calves. I went, what? He said, look. I said, where'd you get your calves from? He said, I've always had, I've always had them. They were honestly like coconuts. I said, right, um, you have to leave it with me. I said, Jim, when's your first pre-season friendly? He said, 10 days' time. I said, right, okay. So I go back to the office, speak to the Powell director. Got this problem, right. Took a measurement of Sean Teal's calves. I get on it. So anyway, we speak to our manufacturer in Portugal who did actually manufacture a sock for Roberto Carlos years previous. And they made this with an expandable calf bit on the back. So we had... Socks specially made for Sean Teal's calves. Back in the day. Yeah. How cool is that? See, another player that got something specially made for. You had a good one on Ryan Giggs, Cantina. Ah, yeah. And where his, uh, where his abode was. Yeah, we'll yeah. Get another personal appearance. Pick him up in my um, Reebok Red Ford Escort. Um, and we're going into Manchester to do it. He said, can we just pop... Um, just divert on the way there. I see it to drop something off for Eric. I said, yeah, yeah. So pull off this road, down this other road, turn right. Just typical unassuming council estate in Manchester. So we pull up outside this house, no curtains up. A couple of kids' bikes on the front lawn, which was threadbare. And I said... Who are you dropping it off for? He said, Eric, what, Cantona? He went, yeah. Well, he lives here. Yeah. So I go out, he gets out, gets his couple of packs or whatever it was, goes out, knocks on the front door, Eric comes to the front door in his dressing gown, gigs the hands in, I don't know, some training kit or whatever it was over. Eric looks over and goes, to me, I'm like, Kingsley gets back in the carpet. Not like your house, is it? <laughs> Gigs had electric gates and all yeah. sorts. And that was unassuming and just, just fitted in. Just no airs and graces. No? That was Eric for you. Wow. Yeah. The king. The king. Yeah, another king. Not in a, not in a palace, though. No. No, not a palace he wasn't. No, <laughs> no he was... Roberto um, Baggio. Didn't work with Baggio. You didn't? No. I was on a, a research mission. Because um, I was responsible for writing the brief for the training collection. So we bring the, tra the generic training collection out and that generic training collection would then become Bolton Wanderers training kit in a different colour and Crew's training kit in a different colour, etc. And when I'd written the brief... I'd put it that we need to really get into looking at 
how other countries do it and other clubs do it and this sort of thing. Apparel director, um, Tony Searles, fully behind it. Great idea, Glenn. Let's go and have a look at, you know, where do you think? I said, Italy. Italians are the most stylish people in the world, you know. Um, so I would arrange with the Reebok Italy. Um, I had a guy over there, another contact, consultant, uh, Piero. Looked like Des O'Connor. Um, and he dealt with our players. So I dealt with him, with Batty Studer, etc. So I'd phoned him and said, have you got any contacts anywhere? No problem, Glenn. I can get you into Parma. I can get you into the Milanello, AC Milan's training ground. You can watch them train. You can have a look at the kit, go in the kit room, this sort of thing. So that's what we did. Went to uh, Parma and AC Milan. So we got to AC Milan's training ground. Autumnal morning. Foggy. Just quiet as well. And the players are out on the training pitches. And I can see Arigo Saki, the manager at the time. You can see um, Boban, etc. All the AC Milan players training away. And just in the distance, there was a, a lone figure just jogging around the pitch. Round and round and round the pitch he went in the mist. And I said to Tony, I said, it's Baggio. He said, what? I said, it's Baggio. I said, he's not in the team, he's not in the squad. He's falling out with Sachi. He said, no. Anyway, five minutes later, he's finished jogging around this pitch. He's had enough. Comes back, walks past us. Buongiorno, buongiorno. Walks in, goes and gets changed. Roberto Baggio. Just yeah. casually jogging past you. Just running around this pitch, yeah. I'm going to train. I'll train on my own. I'll run around this pitch and then go on. Who was he sponsored with at the time? He was Lotto, I think he was. Lotto, Lotto yeah. yeah. Did you have a hit list, say, I mean, players that were out there signed with other... How, how did you approach players that had big contracts with other ones that you would like to get in your stable? Um, I had good relationships with quite a lot of agents um, and a good network within a lot of clubs as well. So you'd often hear of a um, a player's contract coming up via the agent will come to you directly and just say, right, by the way, we're going to be looking at so-and-so. Um, but then it was one of the reasons why we had... 70 odd players around the country at different clubs um, because you'd get a player wearing our boots who'd be best mates with the kid who's just coming through the ranks yeah. and he'd give me a ring and say Glenn do you want to supply a so-and-so with some boots and you know I often did that and some came out as absolute diamonds in that you know um, but um, it was also me travelling, watching a lot of games, 90 odd in one season, um, looking, identifying, thinking we haven't got anybody. Our Reebok South East office probably need a couple more players in that area to support them. So if they've got a local retailer who's opening a new store, I'll tell you what, go and get Paul Furlong from Chelsea, we'll get you him to go and open the store for you. It'll be Reebok branded off, so that'll be the thing everyone's got in their minds. So-and-so opening a new store in Bolton. We've got John McGinley. Get John McGinley to go and open the store for them. Signing session, this sort of thing. Reeboks in their minds. So it was a case of looking around the country, make sure we had coverage all over, including Scotland. Um, but yeah, we'd, we'd often look and go, we've only got two goalkeepers. 
maybe to the goalkeeper somewhere. But uh, yeah, and, and sometimes you just come across a player. Um, I remember sitting watching Hartlepool United versus Chesterfield on Saturday. And a mate of mine was um, Newcastle rep, Newcastle United scout. And he, he sat next to me, I said, are you watching? <laughs> he looked at me, are you watching? I said, Kevin Davies, this kid here. And he said, yeah, snap. I thought, that's interesting. Because if I'm watching him for boots and Newcastle United are watching him to sign him, this could be an absolute cracker. There's a time to go. Yeah. Jetty got up after 20 minutes and walked out. He said, not for us. 20 minutes. Um, and I phoned Kevin Davies three times at, via the football club. Could you get him to give me a ring? Da, da, da. Didn't return me call once. Snubbed by Kevin Davis. There's a headline for Snubbed you. Snubbed by Big Kev, yeah. It's uh, <laughs> Talking of snubs then, was there any top, top players that you went after that spent a lot of time putting it together that fell down? Great question, that. Robbie Fowler. Was he Puma? Puma. Yeah. Puma went to Nike. Um, you and- say, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you there. Because you were putting that together and someone else, would they use that? to counter the offer to somewhere else. Yeah. that's business, isn't it? Yeah. Well, is, is, Reebok is, are giving us... His agent was, a, was an accountant, um, Scotch guy, and very clever guy, good negotiator, knew what he wanted for Robbie, um, did all of Robbie's investments, and history shown, did a very good job for him, you know. Oh, he's hundreds and hundreds of houses. There's hundreds of houses yeah. he's got, yeah. yeah. Um, but George will have gone to us, said, make your offer, which we did, which we thought was the market, the going rate. He goes away and then goes, I've got Nike involved. Bid him Nike ask what we've bid, no doubt. George doesn't tell them what we've bid because they're just going to go pound more, aren't they? Um, you put what you got. And the thing that swung it in the end was the fact that... Um, Nike promised him a part in an advertising campaign, and we didn't. Right. We didn't see Robbie as um, a face, in effect, a, a, a leader of the brand sort of thing. We saw him as an asset of the brand. Um, but Nike, yeah, we'll put you in an ad, and that's what uh, that's what swung it, ultimately. So why didn't you see him as that top? Because, I mean, as a goal scorer and everyone else at that time, there wasn't... Any better, really, wasn't it? It was, it was difficult. We, we, I think at the time, from recollection, we, we, we made him an offer with the thought that in a few years' time we'll have built this business, his football business, big enough that we will go for Liverpool and it might be handy to have Robbie Fowler on board. Yeah, um, But our biggest, our biggest and overriding factor of all was... Gigs was number one. Yeah. We would never, ever... Compromise that. Compromise that. So he was always going to be the number one. Gigs did... Gigs built that Reebok football brand. He was... He was massively responsible for the growth of that brand. Yeah. Well, we're going to jump on a plane. We're going to podcast with a certain John McGinley. And there's a great story in Pakistan. But I believe there's a lot of details missing with whips, sticks, dogs and a gun. Can I just say before he starts, right? 
what worries me is that <laughs> in our podcast when I did mention Pakistan, he says, you didn't do the story justice. It was worse than that. That's what worries me. <laughs> and, and just for content, and that's how Glenn and John have got back in contact because yeah, sort of a friend of a friend said, hey, yeah. they're talking about you on this podcast. Yeah. Um, my son, Matthew, his mate had messaged him and said, Joe McGinley's talking about your dad, 26 minutes, 20 seconds in on this thing. And he sent me on WhatsApp and look at what? What's he talking about before? I've got to listen to this, have a look. And as soon as he started the story, I started laughing. And then Belly laughed. <laughs> the great You were there, so you, you had the chance to the, you. The great bits. There's a few things that were missed out with the story, right? So we were there. Wanna be, you want to put it right, to be fair. We, we, we're there. And um, it's an Islamic country. Can't get a beer. And the hotel we're in, we possibly could have actually, because it. We, we, no, we signed a form. No, we signed a form as alcoholics. Yeah, that's right. We declared alcoholics. That's what you got to sign in Pakistan to be able to get a drink. Stop. So back in the day, then for going into Pakistan, if you want an alcoholic drink, yeah, you have to sign a form that you are De a registered alcoholic, declaring that you're an alcoholic. Please tell me, you two sign this form. We yes. signed it. Yeah. Absolutely, get in. <laughs> <laughs> we did. And I signed his for him, and he signed mine for me as well. <laughs> We signed it twice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we, we declared alcoholics in, in, in Pakistan. Um, Missed that one out, John. That's one. Yep. Yeah, this... Um, so, your room. So, this is obviously a superstar. I'm just the minion. He's got the presidential suite. I've got the broom cupboard around the... Down, it wasn't a broom cupboard. Down below. You know. <laughs> the Islamabad Marius. So... About three years later, I'm um, in my house watching telly, having my tea, watching the news. And John's room is on fire <laughs> and on the ground floor now. And because someone blew it, the terrorist blew it up. That was John's room. Yeah. The one bang in the middle at the front. Um, so if you look back on that, if you Google that, Zambad Marriott Hotel, yeah, thankfully you weren't in it. <laughs> very thankful I wasn't in it yeah you've actually got one in him though haven't you the dog doing like a kipper ain't you well cut a long story short the flight was delayed wasn't it for two, for two days and so we had two days to kill as such and we went for a walk and there was dogs everywhere wasn't there yeah and <laughs> rabid ones and it got dark very quickly and there was no phones or anything like that, so we had been drawing a map, hadn't we? Yeah. Because we were looking for the British Embassy. For? Drink. A beer. A beer. Yeah, you yeah. a beer. So, and all the staff from the aeroplane, the, the British Airways staff and everyone else were, were there and everyone else, so we got invited down. We got drawn this hand-drawn map of how to get to this embassy. So, as you can imagine, <laughs> we are walking along these back streets and everyone else, and, and it was getting dark very quickly, but there was dogs everywhere. Oh, it was right? horrible. And he... Glenn turned around to me and he said, you know what, These, there's a few fierce-looking dogs about here and there's bits and pieces. And I was like, look, see if one goes for you. Stand your ground, stare it in the eyes, right? It'll run up to you, but it'll stop when you see that you're, you're getting eye contact, you're not flinching. And says, and then it'll just go away. And he went, aye, good one, I know that, good one. I swear to God, it was as if it was planned. A few minutes later, what was it like? The big Doberman thing. Doberman. 
I glanced out of the corner of my eye and I thought, it's coming over here, that dog, Doberman. <coughs> Excuse me. So he starts to approach me. So I've, I've done, as my wingman says, I've turned, I'm stood there looking at this dog, <laughs> staring at it like Crocodile Dundee. <laughs> and I went, it's still, it's still coming towards me. I went, John, it's not stopping. John? John? Wingman's left me. <laughs> Did I run it? Wingman's jumping over a gate <laughs> at the bottom of this road. And I'm stood there now thinking, that dog's faster than me. I'm not going to make that. Anyway, something happens and the dog just turned around and ran up the other way. So I've turned and I've bolted down there. I'm over that gate. And I've gone, cheers, wingman. Thanks for that. He well, said, he, his pants, right? he says, oh. you didn't honestly think that was going to work, <laughs> did you? <laughs> I just made it up on the spot. But this thing was snarling and everyone wanted it. big Doberman. It was snarling and horrible. going from and it was like, well, I was, I was off. Well, how we got there to that gated area. I said the concierge, I said, um, we need to go to the British Embassy. Can you, how do we get this? I'll get you a taxi. He said, you'll be safe. So, right, okay, so we get in, um, get in this taxi. Ta taxi guy, um, British Embassy? Ah, yes, yes. I take you, see Islamabad, lights, Beautiful city. And I said, no, just British Embassy, be fine. I thought he was going to murder us. Another one, yeah, I'm going to, yeah. So, I said, how much? 12 million rupee. Oh, for God's sake, how many, how much is that? 12 million, eight pence, right? So, yeah, yeah, go on then. So he takes up this pass. We're getting higher and higher. I said it. Wingman. He said, well, I said, we're going to get murdered. He said, what? I said, the killers. Right. No, he's not. I said, he's got a stick in the front. So the passenger footwell is a big stick. I said, he's going to stop here. He's going to get out and he's going to smack the shit out of us. No, he's not. Anyway, next thing, car stops. And he went, fucking hell, you could be right, you know. I said, don't get out of the car. No, you told me not to get out of the car. I said, yeah, I told you not to fucking eat cream as well. But that's, that's later on in the story. <laughs> and he goes, uh, so out the, out the shadows comes this guy with a machine gun. I thought, not another gun. I had enough of these. Anyway, comes to the window. Taxi driver, where's the window down? Bit of conversation between both shouting at each other. Next thing. Soldier puts his gun at the side of the car, starts hitting this bloke through the window with a stick. So, taxi driver's trying to defend himself, then gets his stick and starts hitting the soldier out of the window with his stick. And we're in the back and said, John, we're going to die. We're going to die. Anyway, it suddenly stops. And then there's a bit of shouting at each other. Shook hands. Soldier gets his gun and goes, go. Window goes up, off we go. Everything's rosy. Everything, everything's rosy. Get the top of this hill. There's the lights of Islamabad. Look beautiful, yeah. Back down the hill, British Embassy. Dog story. Right, Glenn. Rapid 15. Here we go. Rory McIlroy or Tiger Woods? Rory. 
The Open or the Masters? Uh, oh, the Open. Cheer, coffee? Coffee. Best game attended? Uh, 99 Champions League final, Man U, Barcelona. First result you look for on a Saturday? Borough. Shock. Favourite golfing holiday destination? South Africa. Mm, nice one. Favourite golf course played? Such an odd question. St Andrews. See you soon. Best golfing footballer? Oh. That I've worked with, Jamie Redknapp. Nice one. Ayrson Park or the Riverside? Oh, you can't ask me that Come question. on, no fence sitting. I can't believe there's not one answer straight away. Popping. No. I'm shocked here. Come on. I loved Ayrson Park. I love the Riverside. Ayrson Park. Ronaldo or Messi? Messi. Lynx or Parkland Golf? Oh, God. Parkland, because Lynx always spits me out. Nice one. <laughs> best player managed, as in you're managed. In terms of best player, what do you mean by no, best no. player? Best player to deal with. Enormous pleasure dealing with Dennis Bergkamp. Hole in one? No. Old or new Wembley? Old, because I've never been the new one. Ryder Cup or the Open? Ryder Cup. <laughs> that concludes the 15, Glenn. Thank you very much. Glenn, you've been a star. I love the ride. Listen, well, we've got, you know, happy birthday to John while you're listening to this. It's John's birthday. And he'll be in St Andrews with a treat from Uncle Liam. Very soon. <laughs>